Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today I'm joined by Kelly Marie Henry, and Kelly's a referral from Laura Zelliger from episode 61, and she was also Laura's partner in the Fearless Formosa expedition. Kelly's story is also one of adventure, but in a different way. And in this episode, Kelly shares the discoveries that she's made through paddling that prompted her to pursue paddling as a profession and move halfway around the globe to do it. She's got quite a unique background, so I'll let you hear it directly from Kelly. Enjoy today's episode with Kelly Marie Henry. Hi, Kelly. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day here. So tell us about Kelly Marie Henry. Oh, wow. That's a, a very open-ended question. Um <laughs> So I am, um, these days, I am a full-time paddle sport coach, primarily focusing on sea kayaking. I live in North Wales on the island of Anglesey. I recently, um, I guess it's not that recent now, about three years ago, moved overseas from the United States. So how did you make that move? I previously lived in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I had been there for about eight years and really loved the area, um, enjoyed paddling there. It was time for some personal and professional changes. And I just decided that moving to North Wales would provide, you know, that opportunity. I've had a number of guests uh, from Anglesey on the show, and it certainly sounds like an amazing paddling playground. It is. Um, it's interesting. The more research I did into moving to North Wales and to Anglesey, I started to realize that it, it was a bit like this paddling mecca. People raved about the kayaking, in particular the sea kayaking. And I noticed that a lot of people were making a go of working full time in the outdoors in that area, both as sea kayak coaches and guides, as well as, you know, mountaineering, climbing instructors, a variety of different types of outdoor professions seem to really, uh, really be taking off in that area and really be sustainable there. And I, I got intrigued because living in California, most of the people I know who worked in paddle sport or still work in paddle sport are cobbling together their, um, their coaching and guiding with another profession or maybe even two other professions. Some people um, are doing it part-time on the weekends or some people have retired from other lifelong careers to then do a little bit of, of coaching in their retirement. And I started to wonder what was so special about North Wales that allowed all of these people to work full-time in the outdoors. And I said, well, if they can do it, maybe I can too. So how did you get your start paddling and then making that transition to coaching? Um, my start paddling actually came when I graduated from college. Um, so that was back now in 2003. And after I received my undergraduate degree, I decided to spend the summer out in the San Juan Islands in the Pacific Northwest. And I applied for and got a job with Sequest Expeditions. And I, I worked as a sea kayak guide that season. Thankfully, they train all of their guides um, when they arrive because I subscribed at that time to the fake it till you make it philosophy. And I showed up with not a tremendous amount of sea kayak experience. 
Um, but I did have a background in environmental science and marine natural history, and they were looking for people that could um, not just keep their guests safe on the water, but also teach them a little bit about the marine natural history of the region. So I, that was my in, was my background in science. And then I, um, I was trained up and throughout the season gained experience and, and worked as a guide for them. And I really enjoyed that experience. And I ended up only working one season, but always held this romantic notion of returning someday to guiding or to coaching sea kayaking. And it, it took quite a long time to actually bring that dream to fruition. That's where my start came from. So what was that path like, like after that first year and then leading you to the certification and coaching process? So after that first, that first year, I moved back home. I'm originally from Rhode Island and I went back to New England and I arrived home and my family was very supportive and they said, you know, oh, we're really glad you've had this experience. Now you graduated from college, you can either get a job, live with us and pay rent, or you can go back to graduate school and live with us free of charge. So back to graduate school, I went and I enrolled at the University of Rhode Island in their oceanography program. And that began my journey to um, receive both a master's and a PhD in oceanography and coastal sciences. I spent eight years um, pursuing my PhD, you know, that combination. And for, for most of that, I, I thought that I was going to graduate and then decide to remain in academia and become a professor and run a full research lab. And, and I, I was very passionate about what I studied and I really, really loved getting to do field work, hands-on, being out on the water um, and in the field. And I, I think I had this dreamy notion that there were all of these jobs available for all of these PhD students who wanted to grow up and be professors. And as I kind of moved through my, my graduate work, I started to realize that the jobs were extremely competitive. Um, not only that, but once you received a faculty position or just any type of research position, the funding was also extremely competitive. And I started to get a, a bit disheartened and just wanted to take the opportunity to refocus on why I wanted to, to be running a research program and what it was that I really loved about you know, about the research and about being on the water. That was my kind of interim from first starting out as a sea kayak guide to kind of what explains this big gap in my sea kayaking kind of experience. Because I was paddling mostly for pleasure at that point, fitting it in around graduate work. I did three years in Rhode Island, and then I did five years in Louisiana. I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I will fully admit I didn't see kayak there quite as much as I had in some other places that I've lived throughout my life. After graduating, I moved out to California for a postdoc fellowship opportunity. And I had a one-year postdoc fellowship and a major crisis of confidence during that year. And that was when I decided I should take a little bit of time to refocus. And while I was refocusing, I started I started sea kayaking in the San Francisco Bay Area and meeting the, the community there. So you've reinvented your career from oceanography 
to mm-hmm. a move to full-time paddle sports professional. I did. Yes. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I find career transitions that bold to be fascinating. It's not, now, first of all, I imagine there are ways you apply that knowledge to paddle sports. Throughout my time in graduate school, the most useful skill or tool I was, I was taught or given is the ability to problem solve. We problem solve in our daily life. I problem solve when I'm coaching. I problem solve when I'm sea kayaking. Um, any job that I've ever had, whether it's been part-time or full-time in any, you know, any industry, I've had to solve problems. And that's one of the kind of most valuable tools I gained from, from my time as a graduate student. That is definitely, I've taken that away and really been thankful for the, for the opportunity to do that. One thing I will share, and I, I'm, it's not that I don't tell people I have a degree in oceanography. I let it come out and, you know, organically if it does, but I'm very quick to share with people that my, my research was in wetland biogeochemistry so that they hopefully understand I can't identify all the marine mammals and seabirds that we're seeing while we're paddling around because I'm actually these days not the best naturalist. And so I, I try to explain a little bit about what my research was so that they hopefully, you know, can frame it in a sense of, oh, she doesn't always know, you know, what type of, you know, dolphin happens to be surfacing right next to us. So that's always a little bit entertaining. There are many different facets to oceanography. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I know you had that crisis of confidence you mentioned. And so what process did you go through to really make that decision and then ultimately making it happen? I finished my research fellowship and then I was living in the Bay, San Francisco Bay area and, you know, everybody needs to pay their rent. And I didn't have a kayak at that point. I, you know, had moved with very few belongings and had sold my kayak in Louisiana. And I decided to do a little bit of research. And I found that there was a kayak shop, you know, in the San Francisco Bay area, California Canoe and Kayak. And not only were they a retail store, but they also had an instructional program. I said, oh, this is kind of interesting. So I wander in and I started inquiring to see if they were hiring. And most kayak shops are always hiring. Um, They're always looking for people to work retail. And so I I went into California Canoe and Kayak and I, I decided to apply for a job working in their retail shop. Um, and when you apply for a job working paddle sport retail with a PhD, they very quickly hire you. Um, and they are thankful to have you um, <laughs> come on board. And the owners of California Canoe and Kayak, Keith Miller and Tammy Borshevsky, have been nothing but supportive and, and very generous with their time since the day I walked into the shop. And I started working kind of part-time, getting, you know, getting a feel for the area, for the industry. And I used it as a way to pay my bills and then also simultaneously start to take some courses and to build my knowledge of paddling in that area in a very affordable manner. <laughs> so that's, um, that's how I started that transition out of academia and away from, and away from oceanography and into paddle sport. And then, uh, so you pursued certifications and such. So what, what do you hold now in terms of certifications? Now I am an ACA, so American Canoe Association, level five, advanced open water 
coastal kayak instructor, which is a giant mouthful. Yeah. Um, it was 2014 when I went for my first instructor training. And so, you know, I, I had my first guiding job in 2003. So it was just about 10 years after that, that I finally returned to, to paddle sport and to kind of pursuing my guiding coaching or instructor certifications and really starting to develop my, you know, my personal skills as well. So from 2014, uh, attaining that cert first certification, how long did it take you to gain that level five? It took four years and they were not, they were not always a smooth four years. I still in 2014 subscribed a little bit to that fake it till you make it philosophy. <laughs> and I didn't really have a lot of experience with swell. So the San Juan islands, um, up in the Pacific Northwest, you get a lot of fast flowing water. And we had done multi-day trips with guests as, you know, guiding for Sequest expeditions. And then I had done some multi-day paddling in Rhode Island and a bit in Louisiana. And I don't know, I fancied myself a coastal sea kayaker. And then I got to California and the Pacific coast has long period swell and a lot of surf. And you've got to be confident in your ability to launch and land through surf, but also to lead a group, you know, and keep your students safe while you're both teaching them that skill and then guiding them. And it was apparent to, um, to the people who were certifying me that I just didn't have the experience. Um, I could sort of fake myself through, but I, I wasn't, I didn't, couldn't do it with confidence. So it took me actually a little bit of time to get my level four certification, which is that first certification when you're really working in, in surf and, I, at the time, was frustrated, but in hindsight, realized, you know, kind of where my lack of experience was and the fact that it was showing. So after getting my level four certification, it was during that kind of debrief with the instructor trainers, you know, the people that, that you know, are doing the assessment that I, I realized I needed more experience. And it was right around that time that I also met Sean Morley. And I don't know he if you're familiar with his background, but he has quite a bit of background in surf kayaking. Oh, definitely. And he gave me a, a surf kayak and he, he introduced me not just to kind of launching and landing and getting my ski kayak through the surf, but to all the fun that could be had in the surf zone. And I immediately fell in love with short boat surf kayaking. It was it just like cha completely changed my whole outlook on kayaking. How so? So before the surf zone was something that you kind of had to get through. I was like, okay, I can do this. It's a little bit intimidating, but I can I can get through this and then journey on the open coast or explore other exciting areas. And then having the ability to maneuver easily in a short boat in the surf and then to catch waves and that it, it just incredible feeling of exhilaration and joy when you're rocketing down the face of a wave in a, you know, in a surf kayak and able to actually turn on the wave face. I, I was just blown away. I was like, wait, you can go more than one direction in the surf. You don't just have to go straight to the beach with your sea kayak locks in. So it just opened up this whole world that I didn't even know existed. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity. So in the middle of this, uh, this, 
this journey to through certification up to a level five. In the middle of that process, I hear you represented the U.S. at the 2017 World Surf Kayak Championships. I did the San Francisco Bay Area. So that includes kind of like Marin Headlands all the way down to Monterey. I'll use that kind of that was the area that I kayaked in both sea kayaking and surf kayaking. Um, there's a pretty active surf kayak community. And prior to COVID, um, there was a very active competition scene. And that's rebuilding now that large gatherings are permitted again. And so the there was several contests that I got interested in when I started surfing. And I was encouraged by Sean Morley, as well as uh, Matt Hoff and some of the other people that I was learning to surf kayak from, they said, oh, you know, the competitions there, it's really just a gathering of people interested in surf kayaking. They're very friendly, friendly competitions. You know, there's, there's very little or often no money involved. So, you know, it's, it's almost a community event as much as it is a contest. Sure. And I, I decided to give it a go and and to start competing and trying also simultaneously to just build enthusiasm and awareness of this kind of niche sport that I was now so passionate about. In the middle of that whole process to add that to it as well and to, to represent the U.S., neat stuff. To kind of address the, the question of how I ended up representing the U.S., at the time that I got started, and, and even still now, there aren't that many women involved in the sport. It's already a sport that just doesn't have a huge community. And then, you know, kind of, I guess, maybe similar to some other disciplines, it tends to be a bit dominated by men. So I was one of the few women competing and very quickly started placing in competitions. And that was exciting. And you know, kind of gave me the confidence, shall we say, to sign up for an international contest. And I signed up and, and went to the World Surf Kayak Championships in 2017. And myself and Teresa Rogerson, um, we both went together to surf for Team USA. Teresa had competed internationally before, and I had not. And I found the experience to be extremely exciting. It was the largest collection of surf kayakers I had ever seen in one place. And we arrived in Northern Ireland about a week before the event started and met surf kayakers from all over the world. And people were friendly. We all shared surf breaks. We traveled as, you know, all over the North coast of Ireland, trying to find the best ways that we could get ready for the contest. And I, that, was a that was a extremely rewarding and valuable experience the contest started and i very quickly realized that i was going from being a pretty big fish in a small pond to now being a small fish in a very large pond it was the largest women's field i had ever competed against and there are some extremely talented female surf kayakers um, that that are out there and I think I was, I came in about middle of the pack in the end, middle of the field. And I remember being very disappointed at the time and struggled really to kind of 
put it in perspective. And I think even still to this day, there's a lot of luck involved in surf kayaking, in particular in the in the competitions. There aren't a million good waves out there. And some of it is just luck of the draw, the waves that you get. In hindsight, I'm very thankful that I went and and had that experience. And I learned a lot and grew from it. And I'm still, you know, doing my best to stay involved in the surf kayak community now that I I live in Wales, actually. Well, regardless of, of how you placed, you said, you know, mid-pack, it, it's just the opportunity to get there, the opportunity to do that. And uh, it's just amazing. So congratulations on that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And do you still surf kayak often? Uh, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. So the um, paddling environment in North Wales is is very different than coastal California. And while um, Anglesey has amazing dynamic water conditions, one of the things it lacks a little bit of is surf. So I don't have as many opportunities to surf kayak, though I do still have two surf kayaks in my possession. And I I'm very much looking forward to a trip um, this spring to go to the west coast of Ireland to hopefully catch some waves and and do that. And I always try when I'm in California to get out surf kayaking at least once or twice. Sounds great. So skipping back to the um, to the to the career change. So out of curiosity, what have you found to be un- unexpected as you've made that change? I think. One of the things that I found unexpected or I currently find unexpected is that since I started working for California Canoe and Kayak, so that was back in 2000, I don't know, late 13, early 14, I eventually decided to transition from being an employee of theirs and gaining experience to starting my own paddle sport coaching business um, that I now co-own with, with my partner, Nick Cunliffe on Anglesey. And actually, it's the transition to being a small business owner, which is effectively what we are, that I've found to be really surprising. There's a lot that goes into the running of the business beyond the the actual time on the water coaching. And all I really want to do these days is focus on providing a positive learning experience for my students. And I find myself kind of bogged down by like making sure that the bookings are correct and that we're marketing our classes and, you know, I'm advertising on social media and it's all the other stuff, you know, figuring out how to pay taxes in another country (laughs) because now I live overseas. I guess it's all of the other stuff that I have to do in order to have that really special time on the water with my students. That other stuff I wish kind of didn't exist and I had no idea it was gonna take so much time. Um, And I I wish somebody had maybe given me a heads up on that (laughs) before (laughs) I (laughs) decided that this dreamy life as a kayak coach was gonna be, you know, all surf waves and tide races and positive learning experiences. (laughs) And now you find that it's accounting and marketing and, and everything else. It is. It's all the other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of learning as I go. Nick, my partner, has many years of running both a retail and instructional business, as well as, you know, his own independent coaching business in North Wales. So I I definitely rely on him a lot. Um, But um, now that I'm a U.S. citizen living overseas, there are a few kind of interesting things that I've had to, to navigate. So what advice would you have for someone else considering such a life change? 
I did a lot of, of financial planning um, leading up to it. And so one of the realities was that living in California, in particular near San Francisco and really Silicon Valley, financially, I don't know if I could have made it work to be you know, a paddle sport coach or instructor full time. I really, the cost of living there is quite high and there is ample opportunity to work on the water, but just trying to make enough money to pay bills and then save, you know, save for a rainy day, mm -hmm. save for retirement someday. The, the numbers didn't work up. Um, they just didn't match up and I, I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And that's when, you know, I was living in California and I started to meet a lot of people, like I said, who lived on Anglesey and lived in North Wales and started looking into the cost of living there. And I noticed it was significantly less. And there was this really fantastic coastal environment to coach and to, to paddle in and to guide. And I said, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if there's you know, as much business there, as much demand for, for instruction, for people wanting to learn. Can I balance that with the cost of living? And so it was looking at, I did a lot of number crunching. How much money do I need to make? How many courses do I need to run? What's it gonna cost to live you know, if I move to Anglesey? Can I, you know, can I afford to make this work? And so there's, I'm sure, other places in the world where financially it, it makes sense to, and you're, you know, people are able to, to have that, that opportunity to work full time in the outdoors. But California, it was tough. It was definitely tough. Yeah, well, you're you're not alone in uh, in deciding to make that choice. I mean, but a lot of people have that dreamy idea, and they forget about all the aspects of running a business and how much it costs, and not only to do that in terms of time and, and energy and money, but then thinking about can I really make a living from this? And and you've successfully made that transition, so that's great. And uh, I'm we are you know this is the first year, so last year I. I guess I should maybe go back a little bit. Um, when I decided to move overseas, I did take a job in the interim and worked for a, I worked for a tour operator and travel agency for about three years. And I still, you know, I, I do that work part-time on a contract basis if I need to, if I decide I want to make a little bit of extra cash. But I did take a job because the process of moving overseas is complicated and applying for a visa and getting the visa to come through took, it took more than a year. So I needed to make money while I was transitioning from living in California to, to living on Anglesey. So I, I did, I worked um, in travel, in travel and tourism for, um, for a couple of years while, you know, starting to build my experience on Anglesey as a sea kayaker. Um, because I, as I mentioned, the environment there is very different. And I showed up on Anglesey and I had, again, fancied myself now to be an advanced open water coastal kayaker. I thought I had all of this rough water experience, extremely confident in the surf. And I show up at Penryn Mar, which is one of the kind of notable tide races on Anglesey on a big spring tide. And I was terrified. I was like, that is, that's crazy. I can't believe you guys kayak in that. Um, and I realized that 
you know, that transition wasn't going to be as seamless as I had thought sitting in California, planning out my, you know, coaching career on Anglesey. I needed to gain some local knowledge and, and confidence paddling in an environment that is very tidal and also quite windy. Um, lots of wind. So um, I did, I took a couple years um, building, just building my knowledge, building my confidence and really kind of fine tuning what the, what the business plan um, would look like when I decided to, to join Nick, who was working full time already in the outdoors. So that's an important, uh, important piece there. You, you had the, the skills, knowledge and abilities to have attained that level five, yet you got there and still found that there are things that you didn't know. Oh, most definitely. And my level five certification, the, that process was done with Ryan Rushton. And I remember very clearly sitting down with him during my debrief after I had been awarded my level five certification. And he said, I really think you should take opportunities as they present themselves to paddle in different areas. He said, particularly in areas that have, you know, a strong title component. And I remember smiling and nodding and just being so glad that my certification was over. I was like, oh, thank God. It was like a long couple of days. And I remember thinking, yeah, like I hear you, Ryan, but right now I can't even think about paddling anywhere, never mind in, you know, some other part of the world. And he and I were laughing um, when I saw him recently, which was uh, just last week. And I, I brought up that feedback that he gave me and he said, you really took it to heart. He's like, not only did you, you know, decide to get experience paddling in another tidal environment, you full on went and moved to a place where the, you know, the dynamic water, the rough water conditions are generated not by, you know, long period swell, but by, by this tidal component. And yeah, I, I arrived on, on Anglesey and, and realized very quickly that, I had spent the, you know, five years that I had been working on my sea kayak development in California. I'd spent those years avoiding wind. It is an option in California. You can avoid paddling in the wind and still get some really exciting conditions that are, you know, driven by the swell. And I loved rock gardening and I loved surfing and nobody wants to surf kayak on a windy day. So I just chose not to. And I got to Anglesey and what creates their lively conditions in the tide races is a lot of wind against tide, the key being wind. So you need to have that wind to start to generate, you know, bouncy rough water, standing waves. And I had to start paddling in wind and building up some just general kind of longer distance paddling strength. I just needed to be a bit stronger to paddle, you know, on these windier days that I had definitely tried to avoid in the past. <laughs> and then just the moving water, the tide races are vast. They're larger than the, the tide race that we have in San Francisco Bay. And they have more eddies and more channels and just a, it's a more interesting tidal environment than I expected. So what process did you go through to gain those skills? I started going out as often as I could, um, which meant that there were times I was still working for the travel agency and I, I would work Monday through Friday and then Saturday morning, I'd be a little bit tired, but I'd drag my butt out of bed and it didn't matter the conditions. There was a group of people paddling. I just went out and, and started um, exploring. I, I was lucky to have the opportunity to go 
afloat with Nick a lot of days, but really anyone who would let me tag along. I'd come out, I'd watch them coach. I'd try to learn. It was a lot of looking at the forecast. I realized I was very comfortable in California looking at the forecast and knowing exactly what to expect when I got to the coast because I had years of experience there. I forgot how long it took to build that knowledge of looking at the forecast and then understanding what I was going to see when I arrived at a venue. So I really tried to be diligent about, okay, what's the forecast? What do I see when I get to a venue? And how are coaches here making the most of these conditions to create you know, a learning environment for their for their students and what does that look like what skills you know are they really focusing in on and you know what can you do really yeah what can you do with this environment to to make the most of it so a lot of time on the water observing really so now you you clearly love rough water yeah I do. Right. <laughs> and the, the coaching business that uh, you co-own with nick it, do you focus on rough water there or, or something else um, we do focus on on rough water, and I think the business that we we have launched together um, is called Flow State Adventures. Nick also runs a lot of British canoeing trainings and and award certifications through Kayak Essentials, which is a another business that he owns. And Nick has been he won't appreciate it if I share how long he's been coaching on Anglesey, but we can just say he's been coaching on Anglesey. For, for quite some time. And he's developed a client base that comes to Anglesey to get experience in rough water. So I'm pretty lucky because I can draw from his, let's call it reputation and from his client base. So that's given me this opportunity to arrive and to continue to work with people in rough water, which I'm deeply appreciative of. And so we do have a lot of people that have come to work with us to gain experience in tide races. You know, they, they may have paddled once or twice through a tide race, or they may have now received their British Canoeing Advanced Sea Kayak Leader Award, but still just want more opportunities to learn and to play in, in the tide races. So I'm pretty lucky that I get to work. It. I get to work in those conditions all the time now. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've also earned your British Canoeing Advanced Sea Kayak Leader Award. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Um, last year, actually. So my opportunities to participate in British canoeing programs were few and far between when I was in the United States. Um, the U.S. is, you know, it's, it's easier to access ACA training and certifications. And so that was the kind of pathway that I embarked upon when I decided to become an instructor. And then when I decided to make this transition to living in the U.K., in North Wales, I decided it might be important to learn a little bit about the British canoeing scheme, both for, they have leadership awards and coaching awards. And so I embarked upon the path to become a British canoeing advanced sea kayak leader, which is kind of step one in that process, at least step one for me based on the kind of rough water experience I had. And I, it was, it was actually something that was really important to me as well, because when I first showed up on Anglesey and realized how different the environment was and realized that I needed to spend some time learning about the coastal conditions there and, and how to keep people safe, I said, well, wouldn't it be nice if I also got you know, a British Canoeing Award that could be kind of a, a culmination. It might help me feel like I've you know, learned enough to 
you know, now take people on the Anglesey coast. And so I set myself the goal of getting my advanced sea kayak leader award and enjoyed maybe even more so than some of my previous certifications really enjoyed that process of taking the time to, to learn the environment and work with a variety of different coaches, leaders, um, students um, on Anglesey. Congratulations. I mean, you've got really gone through a process of self-discovery and uh, learning what you knew and what you didn't know and finding ways to be able to fill those gaps. Yeah, I think that's a very eloquent way of putting it. Um, at the time, I maybe found some moments very frustrating and I was surprised how intimidating I found the tide races in North Wales to be. Like I said, I, I fancied myself to be a pretty confident, you know, rough water sea kayaker and it was humbling. It was a humbling experience to realize that, you know, there were environments that I was still uncomfortable in. Fear, fear is a very real emotion or feeling for me. I still, you know, I still get it occasionally when I'm I shouldn't say occasionally. I still get it when I <laughs> when I paddle out in conditions on it on a given day. There's there's always an element of that certainly in my paddling. I think if if any of us don't have a uh, a healthy respect or even sometimes a fear for the water, then there's something wrong. Yeah. I'm going to skip back to the U.S. for just a minute. Mm -hmm. You were one of the organizers behind the Paddle Golden Gate Symposium for a few years. I am. I was. I. When I worked for California Canoe and Kayak, they hosted Paddle Golden Gate, I believe. 2016, Sean Morley organized the event and I assisted him. 2018, I took over organizing the event. And then 2020, I assisted David Santianello when he organized it. So there were three, you know, three events that I was involved in, in organizing at, on some level. Will you continue to be involved in that in the future, you think? That's a great question. There has been discussions among um, my good friend and colleague, Laura Zolliger, Keith Miller, who still owns California Canoe and Kayak, and myself about the future of the event and um, who will take responsibility for organizing it. It is a large sea kayak symposium. The years that I was involved, we had close to 140 participants and coaches and volunteers at the event. And I think in, in this given moment, there's um, the undertaking of organizing that is something that nobody single-handedly would like to do. And so we're trying to create a team of people that could, um, could organize that again, so that the, just that, that responsibility and that um, workload doesn't all fall on one person. Well, I was at the 2018 event and, and you did an outstanding job and the whole team did an outstanding job. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. That's very kind. So out of curiosity, what goes into putting in an, together an event with that kind of profile? Well, that event, I can't speak to, there's a lot of sea kayak symposiums in the United States. And I can speak to Paddle Golden Gate in particular. About a year before the event is scheduled, we have to apply for the permits in order to, to have an event in, because um, we're actually in the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. So we apply for the permit with the National Park Service, which requires a lot of emails and um, diligently following up to make sure that they um, review our application in a timely manner. We also have to reserve the space in the Yacht Club, which is where we kind of run the event out of. And then we also have to reserve space at, in the Marin Headlands Hostel, so housing for the coaches and the volunteers. And all of that is done about a year out. 
And if we can't get one of those pieces, that's really a struggle because the accommodation in that region is quite expensive. So in order for the event to be viable, we need to find a place to, to house people that is affordable, <laughs> to be frank. And um, I know a lot of participants also um, stay at the Marin Headlands Hostel. So we've typically reserved space there. And then after that, we start reaching out and trying to find coaches that are interested in coming to the event. And then Paddle Golden Gate, I, I would say we're quite lucky. A lot of coaches really want to be a part of the event. So it, it's never difficult to find a coaching team. And then we also start reaching out to sponsors so that we, in order to keep the event affordable for the participants or as affordable as possible, sponsors are really important. And so we reach out to you know Paddle Sport as well as other local companies that may be interested in sponsoring for a little bit of publicity among the Paddle Sport community. And all of that is um, is done pretty far out. I would say you know six to eight months out, we're really trying to finalize our sponsors, um, line up our coaches, and then um, build the program and you know figure out what we're going to offer our students, what type of courses they're going to be interested in when they arrive. Tammy Boryshevsky has in the past organized the food because we also feed everybody who comes. So she spends quite a bit of time preparing for that. I don't know how she does it. I'm feeding, you know, over a hundred people um, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is a huge undertaking. And she works with a team of volunteers to make that happen. So she's organizing that well in advance. And then from the time that registration opens, whoever is responsible for, for managing that has, you know, questions to answer about travel, about the courses, about participation. So it's definitely, um, it's, it's quite a bit of, of work to, to make that happen. So what's your favorite story from Paddle Golden Gate? Wow, my favorite story from Paddle Golden Gate. I think it was 2018. I worked with Laura. Um, we offered a course called Girls Rock, and it was an all-women's rock gardening course. And that was the most fun I think I've had on the water coaching, possibly to this day, we had a fantastic group of women who were just ready to, to charge. They were ready to try everything. Didn't matter if they capsized, if they swam, if they ran, you know, ran the feature perfectly. They just were so excited to try and to, to learn and to, um, to just be a part of, of the day. It was a really great experience. I always enjoy coaching with Laura and that was a very memorable moment and a great way. We did that on the last day of the event. And for me, after having worked really hard through that, you know, that I, I say three days, <laughs> but it was really it was much longer than three days. It was just, um, it was a really enjoyable way to wrap up the, the event that year. I hope someday to be able to offer that course again with Laura. Very cool. Again. Very cool. So Laura has been a recent guest on the show and, she was your partner in the Fearless Formosa trip to Taiwan. So give us your take on that trip. That was, um, that was a wonderful experience. Laura dreamed this up and she and I, we met when we were um, doing some of our instructor training and certifications together in California. And we were friends. I, not, we didn't know each other that well, but we were friendly enough that she sent me a message one day. I was at California Canoe and Kayak and she said, hey, what do you think about circumnavigating Taiwan? And I was like, that sounds awesome. I don't speak the language. I'm very like, 
my geography is terrible. Like, I think I know where Taiwan is. <laughs> so, no idea how to make this happen. I've never paddled out of the country before, I don't think. And uh, I was like, sure, sign me up. I'm in. And from that moment, we started planning. And it was a very, very memorable experience for both of us. Laura and I were very different. Laura is very much an extrovert. And I'm very much an introvert. And we really learned this about each other while we were paddling together in Taiwan. Um, <laughs> but through it all, I would say we came back really, really close friends. And I, I do consider her one of my best friends and closest colleagues. I am thankful that she planted that seed of that expedition. We spent six weeks in Taiwan. I don't speak Mandarin, um, which is the, is the language there, but Laura does. So from the time that we landed, I was very dependent on Laura to help me help me get around um, and to help me understand some of the more nuances of what I was seeing, experiencing, observing. A lot of people do speak English in Taiwan, um, but not not all of them. So both from just kind of going grocery shopping to coaching, I was relying on somebody to do a bit of translating for me. And that was interesting. I consider myself to be quite independent to then have to rely on someone else to really help me kind of get around and get by. It also required me to have to spend all of my time with Laura. <laughs> so We worked with the Formosa Kayak School and Jafang and Yali, who were running the program there, were unbelievably generous with their time. Everybody that we met in Taiwan was welcoming and helpful and wanted to be involved in the project. I was, I was just blown away by how kind, considerate, and generous the Taiwanese were and are. It made the experience really special. Do you share Laura's uh, same level of passion for bubble tea? <laughs> I don't share the same level of passion for bubble tea, but I do enjoy it. And we, she taught me how to order my own bubble tea. And to this day, one of the few things I can still do is order bubble tea. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't remember a lot of Mandarin, but that was the one thing I was able to, to, to keep up with. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you were to order a bubble tea in Mandarin, how would you do that? Um, I like a passion fruit green bubble tea, which is Baishangwa Lucha. And that's my only Mandarin that I've managed to retain. So. <laughs> All right. So how can listeners reach you and learn more um, about you or about Flow State Adventures? Yeah, so you can find me and more information about Flow State Adventures at our website, which is flowstateadventures.com. There's information about our program that we offer, um, sea kayaking courses, guided trips. This year, all on Anglesey, but hopefully we'll be doing more trips and courses in Scotland and maybe even in continental Europe next year. All right. So if you want to learn uh, paddling rough water in Anglesey, check out Flow State Adventures. How, how did you land on that particular name? Ah, that's an interesting question. We, Nick and I, when we first met and started kind of talking about paddling and, and paddle sport and really just our experiences in the outdoors, we both realized that we had had these experiences. Um, mine had been in surf kayaking and Nick's, he did a fair bit of wave sailing 
windsurfing and waves when he was kind of on his development to become a sea kayaker. And he can tell you more about that. But um, we, we both kind of described this feeling when you're completely involved in something. I get it when I'm surfing. I, you know, I'm really focused on finding that perfect wave and that takeoff and getting in the right position. And then from that moment, when I see that wave come, everything else in the world disappears. And I'm fully focused on turning, catching that wave, not catching my edge and ending up on my face and surfing down the line. And just that feeling of joy when I've successfully managed to get on the wave and start rocketing down the face. It's hard to find the words to describe it. Nick and I were having this conversation and he said, are you familiar with the concept of flow? And I said, no, I mean like flow, like, like a tide race flow. I'm like, I don't quite know what, what I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, there's a, it's a, he's a, he was a Hungarian um, psychologist, I believe. And he, his name is, let's see if I can get this correct. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And he came up with this concept of flow states and, you know, people who are intensely focused on some task that they find meaningful or challenging, they, they're able to find joy in that moment. And, you know, he did research looking at athletes and, and musicians and, and even, you know, all the way down to like factory workers, people who can really get focused in and then from that focus, find joy and happiness. And so we had this whole conversation about flow and Nick, you know, introduced me to that concept of flow state. And from that, our friendship formed from that conversation. And so when we were, you know, years later, looking at starting a business, we were playing around with different names. And I said, do you think anyone's taken flow state adventures? And we were like, oh, I don't know, let's look around online. And very quickly we realized that that, you know, the URL was available and the business wasn't already out there. So we decided to, to move forward with that name. Well, congratulations on selecting that. And thank you for helping us find, find flow today in this conversation. Good, good. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. One last question that I have for you, Kelly, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? I would love to hear Jack Hampton. He's a sea kayaker in the UK, and he's doing this really interesting project. It's called Paddling the Margins, and it's going to be an expedition and film project from Alaska to Seattle. And I'm I'm very curious to hear how his preparations are going, as well as how the experience is and how it unfolds. Well, I will. Uh, I'll connect with you offline. We'll get uh, Jack's information and connect with him, and I'd get him on the show as well. So again, Kelly, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk today. It's been great learning from you, great hearing about your experiences making that big career transition, and I wish you the absolute best of luck with Flow State Adventures and in Anglesey. Thank you very much. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, power to the paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, 
drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. See, I told you she has a unique background. From PhD to paddling professional, she's made the leap to follow her passions. So congratulations, Kelly. I enjoyed her self-discovery, her focus on continuous improvement, and her honesty on the tougher side of running a paddling business. That's the side that nobody wants to talk about, but we all know is there. So in addition to learning about Kelly, you also learned how to order bubble tea in Mandarin. Our next episode is going to take us to the bottom of the earth where Louise Addy guided for 14 years, and she's going to share some of her favorite stories from her years in Antarctica. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.